work. And also Jesus is focused on the cross. At the same time, the Jews are trying to figure out a way to trap him into killing as, as chapter 10 comes to an end. So Jesus wants to strengthen the faith of the disciples. And this monumental miracle, witnessed by hundreds if not thousands, serves as a basis to do this. Further, it escalates, it further escalates the Jewish leaders into a desire of getting him out of the way. Too many people are starting to believe and to follow him. We see in this miracle the coming together of the humanity of Jesus and his deity, the incarnation in one. We see his sympathy and affection as a man in his caring relationship to an earthly family. We also observe his sovereignty in his power and his display of glory and overwhelming death. In fact, to reveal the glory of Christ is the main piece and is the purpose of the sickness, the purpose of the miracle. It's not to bring Lazarus back to life, believe it or not. It's not only to strengthen the faith of the disciples, not only to push the skeptics along into trapping him, which is part of God's plan. All of these are parts, but the main issue here is glorifying God's Son as reflected in verse 4 that we read. It is for, the God, for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus puts his glory on display so that people might believe in him. So, many people will witness this miracle. <clears throat> it's a huge miracle. <clears throat> Pardon me. It seems unbelievable, and it seems so much supernatural almost. Today, we have a culture and a society that's overwhelmed with supernaturalism. We're engulfed with fake news and fake miracles and phony stories and things we can't believe. We have a barrage of entertainment that escalates and elevates and saturates us with, with fantasy. And unreal things are normalized in our culture, and many people don't recognize the difference in reality and fantasy. The line gets rubbed out. They're together. Movies and tele television are jammed with the unreal, offered as if they were real due to volume. Flying witches and time travelers and transformers and people that morph into some other entity that defy natural laws and aliens that are that have supernatural powers somehow. So, so when you present this devotional, this four or five minute devotional to a group of teenage athletes, what's the big deal about a resurrection that happened in a village in, in Israel? 2,000 years ago. What's, what's the big deal there? Could this be Satan's successful attempt at confusing people about the miraculous and about reality? Satan is very good at that. The confusion, the confusion seems to be specialty of Satan. So a story about a parable or a miracle that Jesus did from the Bible is never fantasy. It points to Christ. These miracles, these eight major miracles in John are like signposts that point to the deity of Christ. And they're, from, they're in the Bible, and that makes them entirely trustworthy, inspired by God. This scene from John's Gospel had a big audience, a very prominent family, apparently. A lot of people came, it says, from Jerusalem. There were a lot of people there, many friends, a body of believers, including the disciples. So Jesus came and brought disciples and other believers were there. <clears throat> the biggest body were 
Jewish pilgrims going to the Passover. I said it's a week before the cross. It's a week before the final Passover of Jesus where he will be the Passover lamb for all of us. So there are a great many Jewish people on the road through Bethany, two miles east of Jerusalem on the way. Jews wanted to avoid Samaria to the north, so those coming down from the north went east and then came on this road. There will be a million people in Jerusalem during the Passover. Jewish leaders are looking to catch Jesus, so they're on the scene. Then you have the thrill seekers, the people that follow him around from town to town that are on the fence. Some may believe, some may believe a little bit, some don't believe, they just want to see a miracle. So there are a lot of people here. The fact that Lazarus had been dead for four days, as we read, is not an insignificant detail. The family realized Lazarus was deathly ill. They send a messenger, apparently. They, it, scripture says that they sent for Jesus because Lazarus was sick. It took him a day to get there. Jesus delays two days, and it takes Jesus and his followers a day to get back. That's four days. So apparently Lazarus died on the first day that the messenger left. This miracle is massive. I mean, there is no other explanation. The body would have changed and, and would have decayed in the four days. The Jews didn't embalm the body for funerals like the Egyptians did, or like we do now, we're using preservatives. The, the Jews always had the body in the ground or in the tomb on the day of death because decomposition would begin immediately. A body of a Jewish person who died would uh, have been unrecognizable after four days. So this is a massive miracle. It reinstates life. It reverses the process. That's why Martha said in verse 39 there would be a bad odor if the tomb was open. Jesus performed other raisings of people, and two are recorded. This is the first time I've done this. <laughs> That's why I have no control there. Uh, let's see. He performed two other miracles. The first was the raising of the 12-year-old daughter of Jairus. You remember, that's recorded in Matthew and Mark. And he took three disciples with him and the immediate family, and they went into a room that's much more private. And Matthew, no, Mark says that everyone there was completely astonished because she was definitely dead. The other is uh, recorded in Luke during the funeral procession for the son of the widow from Nain. Jesus raises that young man, and Luke records that people were filled with awe. More public, but still not that many people. In both cases, they were recent deaths. What sets this apart, the case of Lazarus, is four days. Plus, there are many witnesses, and many additional people would hear about it due to the traffic and the family being well-known. And also, Jesus puts himself on the spot here. He calls his shot, if you will. He says in a loud voice in verse 43, Lazarus, come out! It, the Greek word is kragazo, the loudest of loud voices. It's decisive, it's emphatic, it's loud, it's assertive. Everyone can hear it. Everyone can hear it on the far hillside. Fortunately, when Jesus says, come out, he identifies who he's talking to. It's Lazarus, come out. Otherwise, there's no telling who would have come out. <laughs> but, uh, because 
You know in 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, talking about the second coming of the Lord, it says the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first before those who are alive. There may be people sitting here, maybe all of us, could be this afternoon, when we would be witnesses similar to these folks, because it says the dead will rise first before those who are alive. So we know that this loud call will happen, and we know it happened here. Jesus shouts out. So this miracle is enormous. There's no other way to describe it. It's, it's, uh, it's on a man who's, we don't have much description on him. It's a certain man that uh, was from Bethany, and he was sick, it says in the first verse. He, we find out in the second verse he was the brother of Martha and Mary. Martha's identified, oh, she's the one that poured perfume and wiped feet of Jesus with her hair. Um, And then we find out he's a friend of Jesus because it says Jesus loved him in verse 3. Had that personal relationship. In fact, Jesus had a personal relationship with the whole family. We don't know anything about the illness either. We do know it was serious, but not the nature of it, but it was serious. But he cared for the feelings of this family. It says he groaned, it says he was deeply troubled or deeply moved, which in the Greek interpretation, means he groaned audibly. He was caring for this family. He wept. He was deeply moved. He was troubled in spirit when he saw their grief. He knew what was going to happen. He wasn't troubled in spirit over the death of Lazarus. He was troubled because they were hurt. And it occurred to me that he really loves each of our families to the same extent. It's hard for us to grasp. He knows what's going to happen to us. He knows what's going to happen, but he's groaning and weeping, and he's moved when we're in trouble, when we are, when we have a loss, and when we're hurting. Romans 8 says the Holy Spirit prays for us, intercedes for us when we need it. He, it says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. So Jesus loves us the same way, but he loved Lazarus. And you would expect to read that when he heard the, of the illness, he dropped everything and he rushed over to Bethany as fast as he could, but no, he stays where he is for two days. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Everyone has experienced situations where we wondered, why doesn't God fix this right now? I have prayed diligently. I've been a pretty good person. My behavior's been good. I've had a prayer life. I've been faithful. There's no reason for God to wait till it's too late. Why doesn't he understand our need? Why would he leave Parkway Church in a predicament? Why would we not have a budget to do your work, Lord? We're trying to do your work. We don't need to have another cement mixer. Well, after delaying two days, he tells the disciples, let's go. And then the disciples push back. They say, wait a minute. It's dangerous over there. They wanted to stone you at the end of the last chapter. The last time we were there, <laughs> chapter wasn't written yet. <laughs> the last of the four Gospels written. So there's several sides to this. The disciples say it's too dangerous to, to go, and others say he opened the eyes of the blind man, and he could not he have kept this man from dying? Couldn't he even just show up? Jesus says, I'm coming when it's time. We're always worried about the other stuff. 
We're not focused on the glorification of Christ. We worry about our stuff right now. We need financial security. We've got health care costs that are too high. We want the front yard to look good. We want to rotate our tires every 6,000 miles. And somebody in our house is squeezing the toothpaste at the top. <laughs> so these are real concerns. There are really only two basic concerns that we have in the long run. Because in the long run, we are not in control of how many days we have. In the long run, there are two concerns. The first concern is, has there been, ever been anyone or any religion that you know of that has defeated death? And the answer is yes. This has been verified. This is the truth. And that is Jesus Christ. And the second question is, did he find a way, did he make a way for me to do it? And the answer is, in verse 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's the high point of the chapter. In fact, that is the high point of the book. In actuality, that is the high point of the New Testament. It is the greatest statement ever made. They're the greatest words anybody ever made, made by the Lord. The next verse is the greatest statement Martha ever made. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. It's the statement the Lord asked all of us to make. But Martha, at this point, at this point still does not understand his power over death. Mary and Martha are like us. They understand the lordship of Jesus. They understand he's the Messiah. They understand he possesses the nature of God. They understand that he's the son of God. They understand he came, into the, came from heaven into the world. He, the incarnation, God became man. They understand that he submitted himself to the will of the Father. But they are still, they still think he's too late to help this time. Lord, all hope is gone. The fact is, this magnitude of power that Jesus is about to display is beyond the ability of Mary and Martha and all of us lowly people to comprehend. This is supernatural, creative, divine power that reverses the process after death. This is power. So, this is the crowded scene Jesus is coming to where hundreds of people are being set up, maybe thousands, they don't know it, but they're being set up to witness a resurrection, the most amazing miracle ever except the resurrection of Jesus. For years, people in that region will say to each other, you remember when Jesus, was, Jesus raised Lazarus? Were you there? Did you see it? Thousands of people will claim to have been there because they heard about it. In verse 39, Jesus says, take away the stone." You know, the stone was large and heavy. It was heavy for several reasons. One, well, keep the smell in, but to keep robbers and animals out. So not just one person come along and pitch the stone out of it. This was a big rock. So it's interesting that God uses people to roll away the stone. He wasn't asking this just for public appeal. He didn't need the people to do that. He proved it a week later. No people helped when Jesus came out of the tomb. All four gospels, gospels mention this large rock that was in the way. So 
that's a big deal. I mean, that catches people att people's attention, a 4,000-pound rock. When uh, manuscripts from Matthew were discovered, one of the first ones the writer wrote in the margin, a footnote, not, not part of the scripture, the Holy Inspired Word, but a footnote that uh, is, this was actually discovered, and I read it in the book. Uh, the rock was so large, Matthew says, it, it would take, have taken 10 men to budge it out of the way. Well, the gospel later records it was moved completely out of the way. He uses the word kulio, and that's the Greek word. And Mark uses a prefix to that word that says it was moved a significant different, uh, distance out of the way. Why, why in the world? Why don't you just crack it so somebody can go in and steal the body? And then Luke uses still a different prefix, anakulio, which means it was up an incline away in a significant difference. And then John uses still a different prefix, aerokulio, which in the air. It appeared as if somebody picked up this 4,000-pound rock, moved it in the air, up an incline on the hill far away. If you put all that together in the Greek, that's what it says. Well, so God did not need the people to move the rock. I believe he could have done it. But he did use the people. He uses people so they can participate. Remember in the feeding of the 5,000, he asked the disciples to organize the people, set them down in groups of 50. He didn't have to do that, but he used the disciples to do that and distribute the food and then take up what was left over. He used people. He uses people in his work so they can participate. We need work to do. We don't just need to show up Sunday morning and hear somebody talk. There's work to do. So Jesus says to them, take away the stone. Martha says, after four days, that's not a good idea. I don't want to see my brother in that state. It is too late. Too late. Jesus says, just believe, Martha, and you will see the glory of God. That's the purpose. Jesus then has a public prayer. This prayer, he, he says, up in verse 41, is not... A request. It's not a petition. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. Read it again. I know that you always hear me, but I am praying out loud for the benefit of all these people, these people standing here, big crowd, that they may believe that you sent me. There's a distinction here I wanted to make. I'm going to skip over a little bit, but there's a distinction here to this miracle. He would have raised Lazarus anyway, regardless of the faith of the people. He was going to do that. In many of the miracles of Jesus, the people affected, the beneficiaries, were not believers beforehand. The blind man in John 9, he didn't know anything about Jesus before he was given his sight. The man with a withered hand, the guy that laying by the pool for 38 years, they didn't know Jesus before the miracle. So it wasn't dependent upon faith. But he is saying... Martha, in this miracle, I don't want you to see a deceased man made alive. I want you to see the Son of God glorified. She had to have faith to see that, and there's a distinction. She didn't have to have faith for the miracle. She had faith to see the glory of God. She's battling a bat she has a fighting a battle of faith and doubt. And in her tunnel vision, just like ours would be, she's focused on the life and body of her brother, not Christ so much. I need you, Lord, but that's not what I'm focused on. And so the difference is this. If you keep your focus on the body, when it does come alive, all you are going to understand is a living body has been raised. If you keep your eyes on 
me, Jesus, when Lazarus is resurrected, you're going to see my glory. What you carry into the miracle, Martha, is what you're going to get out of it. Recognize God's glory because Lazarus will die again one day. The miracle was for the glory of God. And see verse 4. And not primarily for the life of Lazarus. He may live another 30 years, but he's going to die. For Martha and other believers to be limited only to observe Lazarus being healed or raised would not have been what Christ wanted her to see. The glory of God is the revelation of all his attributes, all of his power, the fullness of his person. His glory takes many facets on it. This is just one of the attributes. It's the ability to raise somebody who had been dead for four days. The ability to give life is one particular manif manifestation of glory. Martha, get your eyes on Jesus, not Lazarus. See the glorified Christ in all situations. Then you will experience signs of his deity and glory. In a similar way, Jesus says to us, don't focus on the problems and the problem solving as an end. Keep your eyes on Jesus, not the problems we have. If we do that, as a church, our mission will be fulfilled. We will experience the glory of him and not a bunch of roadblocks and problems and orange barrels. Jesus puts himself on the big spot in verse 43 in a loud voice so that everyone clearly hears. He shouts out, Lazarus, come out. The tomb is open. The stone is rolled away. In verse 44, 